This morning we'll finish up on a lesson that we started about a month ago dealing with the subject of stress in our own lives and, and the biblical answer to how to, we've noted that among the problems that we all deal with, one of the ones that we talk about a whole lot and many articles are written about is that of stress. And we noted that many people are, are in the hospital right now primarily because they did not handle right the stress that was in their lives. I'm convinced that there are many people every year that die years before they would have to simply because they did not manage stress accurately in their life. I noticed that uh, in this book none of these diseases uh, dealing with the health code and the law of Moses also part of the book deals with the psychological benefits of following God and one chapter in this book he titled it it's not uh, what you eat but what eats you uh, that really in the final analysis has a whole lot to do with the condition of your body we all worry about what we eat we're concerned about it and we want to be healthy and many times do not realize that emotionally and psychologically the things that eat us on the inside emotionally are doing more to destroy us or make us unhealthy than some of the things that we're concerned with having to do with the, the foods that we actually eat. We noted in our study so far that there is nothing magical about Christianity or God's laws, either in the Old or New Testament, that will take stress out of your life. And stress will be there. And we noted that stress comes about as a result of our reaction and our perception to things that happen. And many of these negative things that happen in our life, we have no control over. We have no control over the fact that we are going to die. And that is something that is potentially stressful to deal with. We have no control over the fact that everybody that we love or everybody that we're close to, they are all going to die one by one. Uh, we have no control over that whatsoever. And each time that somebody we love dies, there is the potential then for stress in our life and a certain amount that will actually be there. Whether the person is in Christ or out of Christ, there still will be some stress there. There are many problems that will come to the physical body as we age that you have no control over. It's a natural result of the aging process. Uh, we might slow it down a little bit by certain things, but they're going to come. Uh, if you live long enough, you're going to have arthritis. If you live long enough, you're going to have all kinds of problems. I'm convinced if we live long enough, we would all know what Alzheimer's disease is or any of these other diseases. It just simply starts in some of us sooner than others. So all of these things give us the potential for stress. The Bible deals with it from the standpoint of teaching us how to handle these things so that we have stress management and we do not allow these things to destroy us but rather that we handle them and it is the teaching of the Bible that, that all the problems of life can be handled in such a way that you are not overcome by stress but that you can actually overcome it and become a better person in the process. Now we've looked at a number of things already and today, last week we backed up and did some review on others. We're not today. I'd like to go straight on into just a couple of areas and spend our time on that and conclude our subject. And what we got up to last week is something again that in more recent years 
I'm beginning to see more and more articles on it in the various publications. In fact, uh, I read an article in the uh, Chattanooga News Free Press just a few weeks back, an entire section on this article, on this subject. Uh, there was a magazine that I get. There was an article on this subject just a week or so back. And that is the subject of the body's need for rest. Uh, the studies say that most working Americans, the vast majority of us, do not get enough rest. We don't get enough rest on a daily basis. We don't get enough rest on a weekly basis. And one of the reasons that we go around with a very high level of tension many times is because we're just plain physically tired. And if you are physically tired, you're also emotionally tired. Uh, and you're psychologically tired. And if you are tired, it literally affects you and everything that you try to do, whether it's physical. In fact, I don't know about you, but I can function better physically when I'm tired than I can psychologically and emotionally. Uh, if I get going physically, I can get my blood circulating and I can do some things. But it's when I'm trying to handle problems and deal with things of a psychological and a, and a mental nature uh, that I find myself at my worst uh, when I am tired. But anyway, a number of articles stating that we do not get enough rest. We get through the day using caffeine, whether it's uh, through coffee or through tea or, or through colas or whatever source or, or stimulation through sweets or whatever. But we're looking for something to stimulate us primarily because we don't get enough sleep at night. Uh, and also, we don't get enough rest on a regular basis, and so we're caught up in this. Now, I'd like to first look at a principle set forth in the, in the Old Testament, and look, read with me, go back to chapter 2 of Genesis, and note some things that God had in the Old Covenant, and then we'll come forward to, uh, to our situation today. After creating the earth, and after forming the earth in the way it is now over a period of, of seven days, it says in verse 2 of chapter 2, by the seventh day God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now when we come to the Ten Commandments, in Exodus, the 20th chapter, Exodus, the 20th chapter, in the Ten Commandments, uh, beginning with verse 8, remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor daughter nor your maidservant, manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor an alien within your gates. Okay, what's the reason for this command? For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath day and made it holy. So we see that when God created things, uh, he rested uh, from the, the creation and then it said he blessed or hallowed that day and made it holy. And then when the Ten Commands are given, one of the commands was to set aside the seventh day uh, as a Sabbath. Uh, the word Sabbath simply means rest, as a day of rest. Well, the Jews used the seventh day as a day of rest, and they 
set it apart to rest and to worship God. So it was on that day that uh, they would study the scriptures, uh, sing praises to God, worshiping, come to the synagogue or to the temple, uh, and also set the entire day apart as a day of rest. Uh, later on in the New Testament, when Jesus was dealing with uh, their misinterpretations of the Sabbath day, he also makes this observation in chapter 2 of Mark in verse 27. He said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What is, he said, the day of rest was for man. And so even all the animals got a break. And by the way, under the old law, they didn't just have a Sabbath day. They had Sabbath years. Where on the seventh year, they didn't go out and, and plant. Uh, they, the whole land was given a rest. And God said, I'll give you enough on the sixth year to carry you through to the eighth. So the whole land got a rest. Um, there were those individual weeks in the year when they would have two Sabbath days. There were those special Sabbaths that they had. Suffice it to say that God built in a period of rest where they did not work and where they could think and meditate and relax and worship God. All right, as we leave the Old Covenant and, and come into New, New Testament Christianity, what we find is at first all the apostles, in fact, as long as they lived, all record is that they continued to keep the Sabbath as a day of rest. And they would partake of the Lord's Supper uh, in remembrance of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ on the first day. And then over a period of time, there was an evolution. And so the Christians uh, began to observe Sunday as the Sabbath. And they set it apart and remembered the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But the point is, they still had one day in seven that they set apart as belonging to God, that period of time. And that came all the way through the centuries to the point that I'm 52 now, and I can remember in my childhood, uh, in the 40s and, and 50s, that uh, in our society, it was hard to find anything open on Sunday, wasn't it? Uh, you would drive into small towns, and, and in fact, if you headed out driving on Sunday, you had to be careful because you might very well go some distance before you could find a gas station that was open. You would find convenience stores open, but your supermarkets and main shopping places were closed down. Uh, I can remember going into downtown Louisville. I was reared in Louisville. And after services on Sunday, going for a walk, and people would go for a walk downtown. Some of them were just window shopping. That's the only kind of shopping they could do. The stores were all closed. And people would just simply walk around in a relaxed way. I know from your environment up here, it was the same way. Uh, that it was, it was a day, uh, primarily, where people ceased work, except for emergency-type situations. Uh, and also, I suggest to you, it was one of the reasons why it was easier to invite people to the worship service uh, and to studies about God and had more people in attendance because most of them were not working on Sunday and they didn't have all these activities out there pulling at them. There was, uh, whether, it was whether it's pro football or little league this or middle league that or, or t-ball or whatever it is, they didn't have all these things pulling at them and so therefore it was already set aside as a day that they didn't do much anyway and it was very easy then to on a regular basis invite people to services and have them respond and many people of course became converted in the process. Now our society is different. Our society is, is really has less influence from Christianity on it than at any time in its history. Uh, we have become a completely secular pagan society. 
Uh, there is nothing holy in our society, nothing set apart uh, for any. There is no day, uh, Saturday or Sunday. Every day is work day. Sunday is either work day or play day. Even if you decide that you want to set aside some time to rest and to relax and to worship, you have difficulty doing it. Uh, because in our society, uh, we just don't want to accept that. Uh, I don't know how many times that we've set aside at home a period of time and, and uh, the phone begins to ring and somebody comes to the door and it's like that somebody always has uh, this good thing that they need for you to do and it's just extremely difficult to say, no, I'm going to set this, side, this day aside and all I'm going to do is rest. And I'm going to relax and I'm going to meditate and think about my relationship with God and I'm going to pray and I'm going to study the Bible and, and set this day aside. It is very difficult uh, in our society. So the end result is we work a seven-day week. We have no time that's holy. We are on call at all hours. People can get to us just as easy as the phone. And we run ourselves ragged. Many times we run ourselves ragged every good time. Now, I don't want to offend any of you guys because I do know I like ball and all that kind of stuff and I've played it in the past. But sometimes when I listen to parents uh, talking who have children and all these various things, it's interesting to me how hard they work and how much anxiety that they bring in their life having a good time. They can literally do it in running to every, trying to work all day, do all the responsibilities of marriage, and then run to every single solitary game or activity or involvement to the point that everybody is wiped out seven days a week. But something I think equally important is happening. Not only are we wiping ourselves out, not only do we need rest, uh, you, you really don't think about the important things of life unless you've got time and you're relaxed and you can sit back and do it. But God's getting crowded out too. And so now we no longer have a period of time that in any sense belongs to God. And we go and we rob ourselves spiritually, we rob ourselves emotionally, we rob ourselves psychologically, and we rob ourselves physically as a result of not taking some time and setting it aside and saying, hey, this is for God. Just as I have a chunk of my money that is set aside and I say, this belongs to God. Just like I pay the rent or pay on a car, this, this belongs, this does the work of God. And just as we have time set aside for other activities, I'm saying that we need a period of time, whatever that may be, but we need a period of time where you've set it aside in your mind and said, this is a period of rest for me. Uh, whether it's Saturday or Sunday or, or whatever, I'm not even getting into that argument uh, so far as uh, this, this lesson is concerned. But I'm saying that we are created by God in such a way that we need rest. Uh, and by the way, you've heard some people say, hey, I only need four hours sleep, and I only need five hours sleep, and all of this. Well, according to articles that I've read, they said this is nonsense. That the average adult needs seven, eight hours sleep every single night, if they're going to feel at their best the next day. And so some people need nine hours sleep. But everybody needs a good night's sleep if they're going to feel... I don't know what that's all about, Larry, but I missed something. If they're going to feel at their best the next day. I'm convinced. I looked for this article and I couldn't find it. This was an article. I showed it to Barbara sometime back. It was one of, in one of John Clayton's publications about a year ago, I guess. And he pointed out how that our, in this article, from a, it was interesting to him that from a scientific point of view, that our body operates in cycles. 
and said, we really need a period, our body needs about, and this was from a scientific standpoint, not a religious, but said that we need one day in seven, a set aside where we just simply don't have anything that is demanded of us, and then we can start back again. Now, I looked for the article, and I simply couldn't remember what publication it was in. But it was simply saying that, that our body operates in such a way that we simply, on a regular basis, need a period set aside. We recognize that in, in our need for vacations. What we're really saying there is that we need to get away from it all, aren't we? In fact, uh, some of us have come to realize the hard way through the years that when you don't take a vacation and get away from it all, you actually hurt yourself. Uh, the workers have learned, or I should say the businesses have learned through the years, that workers are more productive if you give them a break. That if you actually give a person a break several times during the day where they can just relax and do nothing, that they are actually more productive than if you try to push them every minute of the day and get everything you can get out of them. That we just simply need to have a break. So I would su suggest to you that in thinking about your own situation of stress, think about your time. Do you get enough rest? And do you have a set part of your schedule designed to the best of your ability? Now, I know a lot of things are not within our ability. We have to make our living in this society, and there are a lot of things about the time element that we cannot control as easily as, as people could in generations past. But do you, to the best of your ability, have a period of time set aside that is a time that belongs to God? And it's during that time that you're going to worship and meditate and read the scriptures and think and just simply relax and re-examine your life and consider where you've been and, and where you're going. You need that time or you're going to pray for it with stress in your own life that's going to send you to an early grave and cause you a lot of sickness, a lot of problems along the way. Now, in the same vein, I'd like to suggest to you that worship to God, if it's done right, now keep in mind, worship's like anything else. I, I've had those times just like you when I felt worse uh, after I went to a situation before I went. But worship to God, if it's done right, ought to be one of the best relievers of stress in your life. It ought to be one of your best experiences of the week. Let's think about what you go through in worship. Number one, we come in here, we sit down, one of the first things we do is we begin to sing. Now you think about those songs. Trust and obey. If you're really thinking about that, that hey, what God wants out of me in life is put my trust in him and, and to obey. Songs that deal with Jesus, his life, his suffering, his sacrifice of himself. Songs uh, that deal with our looking forward to heaven when we put off this temporal body and finally reach the shores of that place where there will be no tears or anguish or, or sorrows that we have to deal with here. Well, now, if you really believe that, and you've entered into it, see what happens to us, I'm afraid, sometimes we are so tensed up and so stressed out that by the time we get here, our minds are still out there in all these demands that, that we've allowed to be placed on. I say allowed to be placed on us. Because we make decisions there. And we come in, if we don't watch it, we bring the world in here, and we really don't get out of our song service what we should. If you want to get the fullest out of the song service, take time to meditate and think about the words 
that are being sung. Think about God and your relationship to Him. Did you know that singing relieves stress? That was in an article I read too. Just the act of singing. Uh, music is a stress reliever. Uh, remember what happened to Saul when he would become so filled with anger and rage and paranoid and, and play a little music and, and we could calm Saul down and make him human again. Music has that potential to calm us down, to relax us, and to take away stress. So the song service, if it's engaged in right, is a great stress reliever in your life. All right, the next thing we do is that we have prayer. And in prayer, we're talking to the creator of the universe. We're repenting of our sins that we acknowledge that we commit. We're, we're experiencing in our mind the knowledge that God forgives us. As long as we're willing to confess and repent, God forgives us. We're making our concerns known about all the various things in life that we have no control over whatsoever. And we know that we have the promise of where two or three are gathered together in his name, that he's there in our, in our midst. And so if we properly sing, and we teach and admonish one another in those songs, and if we properly pray, how can we understand that and engage in it and do anything but be eased of all the stress and the tension in our life? Then we begin to engage in Bible study, whether as we're doing right now or in the study you had before. And whatever you're studying, you're learning something about God's dealing with man and God in the final analysis working things together for the good of those that love him. I mean, you could say that's the story of the whole Bible, that whatever he may be doing in the final analysis, he is in some way causing things to work together for those that love God. And so in some way, we ought to be getting that out of our Bible study. Then another part of our worship is that we give. Giving uh, can be something that is very enjoyable. It can give you a, a frame of mind that I don't believe that you can have in, in any other way. Uh, for example, right here, I know that you, like I do, uh, get somewhat discouraged sometime when you think that... Uh, then we, we talk, uh, you invite, and, and there just seems to be uh, so few people uh, that are really interested in studying and setting aside time and worshiping God and, and wanting to learn. It's, it's more depressing in our situation than in many others. Now, and one, I've hit on this somewhat before. All rural areas in our society are dying. When I became principal at Swiss Memorial, there was over 400 students. Now there's 325. That means there's 20% less kids in this area. Grundy County has a population of over 1,000 less now than in 1980. The population of Grootley Logger is over 200 less than it was right about 1980. People are growing up, and as soon as they finish high school, they leave the rural areas, they go to college, and they go to town for the jobs. And so it is somewhat depressing to be in a rural area anymore because the jobs are not there and people are living. And so if you're in a city situation, it's the opposite. That you, you've got a church and people are constantly moving in and, and looking for something and, and they don't have all their family and friends and all and, and they're actually looking and so it's actually conducive uh, to reaching out. In fact, many of the city churches have simply swelled because of the rural people that have moved there. All right, I'm saying now that can be a downer. But here's where again our giving is one of the things I think that can pull you out of the downer there. At least it does me. 
When we send what we do to Mexico City to support Enrico there, Mexico City has more than 20 million people in it, and 80% of them are 25 years or younger. And the man that we're supporting is doing an outstanding job there by every report that I get. By every report that I get, he's, he's a very sincere person, he's very sacrificial, and doing an outstanding job. And so when you give, don't just give money, but think of Enrico and the work that he is doing in Mexico, and he would not be able to do that, in fact, would probably have already got discouraged and quit if it were not for the support that he's getting from us. Think of the work that John Clayton is doing. And the fact that he couldn't do that if it were not people like you and people, others like you, who are supporting him in that work. Everything he does costs money. He couldn't do it except the work was supported. Think about the money he gave to Jason when he went to Czechoslovakia. And as a result of that, he's made the decision he wants to go back to Czechoslovakia and work on a full-time basis. And so he already has his goal set as soon as he finishes school. He's going back with, a, with another group of young people that he hopes to recruit to go back over this time and stay longer and do mission work. Think about the times that you've sent money to buy Bibles to go behind what used to be the Iron Curtain or into Africa or some other place. And so I'm saying to get the fullest out of your giving, think about what you're getting for it. Doesn't it make you feel good at some, to give somebody something that you know they needed? Somebody that you like and you get to give them something that you know they needed? It, there's a good feeling that comes from that. In the same vein, there ought to be a good feeling that comes from giving to the Lord and knowing that, hey, this is going to be used to do that. And so when you give, think of the way that your money is being used. And also, always re-examine your giving. Because there are more people like Enrico out there. And there are more people like John Clayton. And there are more Bibles that need to be bought. And the more that we give, the more of that that we can do. In other words, when it comes to stress, you and I make a lot of choices. And in our society, if we're not very careful, we talked about this in a different vein with the teenagers earlier, if we're not very careful, in a secular society that puts all the emphasis on material things, and on hunting, and ball, and, and having a good time, and, and, and cars, and houses, and all these things, it is so easy to get caught up in that. You and I need to step back. And we need to first set aside a period of time. I'm not arguing for a seventh-day Sabbath or any other specific time. I'm saying I'm arguing for a period of time as a time of rest that you set aside where you withdraw from the world and you say, I'm going to rest and I'm going to relax and I'm going to study the Word and I'm going to meditate and I'm going to think and I'm going to close everything in the world outside of my, outside of my mind. Then set aside a time to worship God. Partake of the Lord's Supper. And think of the Jesus who died for you and gave himself for you as an expression of God's love. And think of his resurrection from the grave and what that means to you and the hope that that gives you of life beyond the grave. Think of the songs that you sing. Uh, think of the prayer and the words that go forth. And when you give, think of Enrico and, and John Clayton or, or Jason Locke or, or the Bibles that we buy or whatever uh, that is being done that you feel is right with that money and derive a good feeling from that. And then these other things that we've talked about, learn to manage them from a Christian viewpoint. Always look at life from the viewpoint of a Christian. As a Christian, you're a pilgrim that is walking through this life 
you understand that this body is temporal. It's only here for a short time. What's really important is a relationship you have with God and how many people you can lead into that kind of relationship before you leave this earth. What's really important with your children, more important than their college education, more important than how well they do math, and more important than how many ball games they win, is the relationship they have with God. And the whether or not their personality and their character is being molded in a way that God would be pleased with them. And you determine that when you make the decisions relative to your own life and your own home. Let's close our study for this morning. If you're in our audience as one that is not a Christian, God loves you. You already have some feel for that or you wouldn't even be here. God loves you. He loves you so much that he gave Jesus to die for you. You simply cannot have made any mistake. But that if you repent, God will forgive you. It's that simple. You cannot have made any mistake that God will not forgive. And to become a child of his, all he asks you to do is to repent of your sins and put your trust in the sacrifice of Christ. Express that trust that you have in your heart by acknowledging your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and then be identified in baptism with his death, burial, and resurrection. And then arise to walk out of the watery grave of baptism and begin to handle your life and all the stresses of it with the teaching of God's worth and with a relationship with him that will sustain you through eternal life. If you're not a Christian and desire to become one, we give you the opportunity. Let's together we stand and sing.